I want to thank you guys for being here. How many of you were up after 12 last night? Awesome. You guys are the troopers. You sort of were. You like crashed out like partway through the party and then got back in there. But uh, you guys are like the marathon runners. All the rest of the people are getting some rest and we won't fault them for that. We do not blame them, right? We're not going to give them a hard time. But we are glad that you're here and I'm excited. Even though we're talking about a subject that's a little bit maybe removed from our everyday vocabulary or maybe even our everyday practice. We're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. And I know this generation, whenever I hear about a new subject, the first thing a lot of people want to know is, is there an app for that on my phone? You know, I'm going to look in here and I've got texting and I've got emailing and I've got navigating, but I don't have anything about fasting in here. Maybe... Maybe that's not you. Maybe when you hear fasting, you think about really old school monks. Like any Monty Python fans? Holy Grail. (laughs) We got one and one up there. All right, there's three of us. Uh, They're they're the guys in that movie that walk down the street with the the wooden boards and the long brown robes and the long, long faces, and they walk down the street going, oh, bam, whack themselves with the board. Oh, Bam! You, you think of fasting as something reserved for guys like that that lived in a monastery a long, long time ago. Or maybe you hear fasting and you say, hey, I fast religiously. In fact, I fast twice every day. I fast between breakfast and lunch, and I fast between lunch and dinner. <laughs> I don't know what you think about fasting. Honestly, I'm going to make a confession. It's not an area that I have mastered. It's not an area that I have a whole lot of experience in even. I can count the times on my hand, one hand in my life that I have fasted. So this is not something that I'm coming to you saying, I want to talk to you from my wealth of experience. This is an area I've been challenged in this week. We have a tendency though in our Christian lives to camp on the areas that we're comfortable with and to camp on the areas where we're already strong because those ones are comfortable, and to ignore the areas that are outside of our comfort zone. But it's kind of like uh, when our little guy plays Mario Kart. Any Mario Kart fans on the Nintendo game systems? A few. Our little guy, Jaden's just started playing that, and he likes to do the same four tracks over and over. It's called the Mushroom Cup. And we say, hey, uh, why don't you try some some of the tracks in the, the Flower Cup or the Star Cup? And he says, I don't know those tracks. He he likes the mushroom cup because he's done them a hundred times and he gets first place. But what do we tell him? We tell him, hey, if you'd never try the star cup or the flower cup, you're never going to grow in in your ability as a Mario Kart racer. Big deal in Mario Kart, right? But it's a huge deal in our Christian lives if we leave these sections of our lives unexplored. So we're going to explore this tonight, wherever you happen to be at on this fasting thing. And what we're going to do, I'm going to talk about it briefly. I'm going to tell you five quick things about fasting from the Word of God. And then we're going to spend the rest of the evening intermingle between a song and then a time of prayer. We're going to have two times of prayer for about 10 minutes. And the focus of our prayer is to invite you to talk with God. If you want to talk with Him one-on-one or with your spouse, you stay in your rows. If you want to talk with Him with some other people, if you need to lean on some people, that's what the circles in the back are for. But I want to start out by saying that Jesus assumed that his followers would fast. He just assumed that. 
And we know that because in Matthew chapter 6, when he was talking to a group of his disciples, he said to them, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He didn't say, maybe you'll fast. He said, when you fast, as though he expected that would be a normal part of their lives. Now, just those three words alone, you might say, that's kind of shaky, but you go over to Mark 2, you'll remember in verse 18, there was a disagreement. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. It says, people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But yours do not. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. In other words, Jesus was saying, as long as I'm here on earth in person, physically, I'm the bridegroom. There's no point for them to fast. But then he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. And what I want to tell us tonight is we live in that day that he spoke about. While Jesus is here spiritually within each of his children, he's no longer here physically. We're waiting for that day to be reunited with him physically. In the meantime, he expects that there will be times in our life that we fast, that we willingly set aside food to focus our eyes on him. Second, if you fast just to be seen by other people, you should expect no reward from God. Being seen by people will be your only reward. Jesus said it this way. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And I don't know if you've done this, or maybe you've been across the lunch table from someone. They sit there and, oh, that sandwich that you're eating, it looks so good. I'm so hungry, but I can't. I cannot, for I'm fasting before the Lord. <laughs> What's that other person going to say? They're going to say something along the lines like, wow, that's pretty spiritual. I, I wish I could be like that. And Jesus says, hey, that's okay if they say that, but that's going to be your only reward. So if that's what you want, go ahead and do it with a gloomy face. Make a show of it so that you get those words from other people. That's all you will get. Now, here's the, the flip side of that. If you do it with right motives, you can expect, you can look forward to reward from your heavenly Father. Listen to what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, take care of yourself. Don't, don't go out of your way to make yourself look all run down and tired. Just get ready like you normally would get ready. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I want to make a side note here because we love religion as people. This is not saying that somehow we gain favor with God by fasting. The only way we gain favor with God is by trusting in what his son Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for our sins. 
but we can get reward from fasting. So you say, what is the right motive for fasting as we're doing that in secret? What is the motive that should drive us? The motive that should be behind our fasting is total, 100% complete dependence on God. Above all else, above our food, above our relationships on this planet, above everything else that can get in the way and distract us. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I heard one man say it this way. In building us to need food, God gives us a great reminder three times a day at least, for some of us even more, that we need something outside of ourselves to live. Every time we eat, we acknowledge that, right? And what this verse is saying is, hey, while that's true with food physically, there's an even greater need that we have. It's a need for a God, a relationship with him to sustain us. That's why it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I did a quick look through the Bible about fasting this week, and I'm not gonna hit you with everything. I'm gonna tell you four situations, though, that I've seen in the Bible where people found the need to fast, because you might be hearing all this and saying, hey, when do I do this? Why would I do it? What are some of the situations where I might think about maybe fasting? How do I know if God's leading me to do that? One situation you might consider fasting is whenever you experience grief, especially severe grief. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you went through a trial that you just didn't see coming and you were totally blindsided by it. And one example of this, how many of you guys remember that little book in the Old Testament of Esther? You remember Esther's uncle, Mordecai, discovered that there was a plot to have him and all the rest of his people exterminated? Haman was cooking up this scheme. Well, he found out about that in Esther 4 Verse one says, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. That was typical in those days to express grief as well. He tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, which was a very itchy cloth, fabric, and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So I'd like to ask us as a group tonight, is there anybody in here going through any kind of intense grief in your life? And I want to say you may want to consider fasting to focus your dependence on God as you go through that loss and that heartache. Another one, when we're ensnared by sin, when we find ourselves in a situation where we are or are about to give in to temptation. And this one comes from 1 Kings. You remember there was a wicked king named Ahab, and he wanted a vineyard that belonged to a guy named Naboth. And he's whining to his wife about it, she wore the pants in that relationship, if you remember. Her name was Jezebel, and she's like, stop whining. You're the king. You want his vineyard, I got a plan. We'll call a feast, we'll put Naboth at the head of the table, we'll set up two guys to say he did something that's worthy of death, 
So they had the feast, and those two guys stood up and said he was worthy, worthy of death, and they had him executed. Also, Ahab could get his little vineyard. So Ahab thinks he's off the hook, but you remember Ahab's arch nemesis was Elijah, man of God who spoke the word of God boldly. He comes to Ahab, and he says, God knows what you did. And he tells him that judgment is going to come on Ahab and his family because of what he did. Now, I want you to think about how wicked Ahab was. You just heard what he did. But listen to his response here. In 1 Kings 21, 27, it says, When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly or humbly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. If you're not convinced that God's a merciful God, you will be after this verse. He said, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. In other words, God looked down and saw Ahab humbled. He saw him fasting. He saw him praying. He saw him confessing his sin. And he said, I'm not going to remove the punishment altogether, but I'm going to wait on it until he's gone. So I want to say to us, if God's been convicting you about a certain sin in your life, maybe you've had a hard time breaking its hold on your life, or maybe you're at the point where you're done with it. Sometimes it makes sense, along with your confession and your humility, to fast so that you find yourself where Ahab found himself in the hands of a merciful God. Another situation, when we have a scary journey in front of us and we need God's help. Now, that journey may be literal, like moving across the country, or it may be metaphorical. You're stepping into a new chapter of your life and you're seeing the obstacles and the, the hardship of what's coming down, down the pike and you know you're not gonna make it without God's help. You see this in the book of Ezra. Ezra was a man that was gonna lead Jews who were in captivity back to Jerusalem. And he's gonna take them along a road that was notorious for robbers, wild animals, enemies. But he didn't wanna ask the king at that time for help because he had told the king God would help him. So what it says in Ezra 8, it says, there I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told him the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and we petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. So I want to say if you're looking at a scary journey in your life, literal or metaphorical, you may consider fasting as you ask God for the help you need stepping into this new chapter of your life, just like Ezra did. The last one, when we have a decision to make. I don't know how many of you are facing big decisions right now. But I want you to listen to this chapter in Acts. We're jumping to the New Testament here. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas 
and saw. Now I want to read that again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. You know this Saul is Paul who went around the world spreading the gospel. Chances are you and I are Christians today in part because of what God did through the apostle Paul. But did you catch when they were sent out? There was a group of people at a church in Antioch worshiping God and fasting and the Holy Spirit came to them and said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for this mission. And what I love about this situation, that church didn't even know they were facing a decision. They were just worshiping God and fasting and showing their whole dependence on him. And in the middle of that, God says, here's my will for you. Send these two men out. So you think about your own life or the life of our church or the church around the world. What decisions are we facing? And maybe it makes sense as we're worshiping to fast show our complete dependence upon God and look for him to lead us through his word and through the Holy Spirit. So those are a few situations where it makes sense. A couple more points and then we'll be done. Not eating is not enough. There's all kinds of reasons to fast. If you're fasting for medical reasons or to lose weight, not eating is enough. But we're talking about fasting to show our complete dependence upon God. The real question as we stop eating is, do you take that time and energy that you would normally put into that food and fill it up with a focus on God? You understand what I'm saying? Because... Scott and I have talked about this, how sometimes when we fast, <laughs> it's so easy to, to spend the whole time thinking about food, right? <laughs> you know, that you may not be eating, but you're watching the Food Network, and <laughs> you, you're thinking about your favorite meal, and you're salivating, man. Or, or let's say you, you take a fast from television for a time, because you can fast from other things in your life to, to give time to God. Let's say you're fasting from television, so you're not watching the, the tube, but... Man, you're online reading all the blogs about your favorite show so you don't miss an episode. You don't miss what happened while you're not watching. And you're not using that time to focus on God. Kind of like vacation. I thought about it this way. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but we get busy in life and we get running and we get to such a speed that sometimes it takes us a while, but we realize, wow, we need to take a vacation as a family. We need to slow down and spend some time with each other. So you say to your boss, I'm going to take a week off. Uh, I'm going to take one of my vacation weeks. And you got all these grand visions of how, how it's going to draw your family together. But then sometimes what happens, you take that vacation, and let's say it's a staycation where you happen to be staying at home, and as a husband, you say, hey, well, I'm going to use this time to fix the cars and wash them up, and, and the wife may say, hey, the house needs painting on the inside, so I'm going to do that, and the whole time the kids are playing video games and watching TV, so you've emptied your schedule of work, but you get to the end of the, the vacation, and, and you look at each other and say, wow. I think we sort of missed the whole point of the vacation. We emptied my schedule of my job, but we filled it up with so many other busy things that at the end of the week, we're not any closer than we were at the beginning. What am I getting at there? We can do the same thing with fasting. We can say, I'm gonna 
not eat for a week or a day or a couple days, but then we just fill that time up with, with shopping or time on the internet or whatever, and we, we haven't spent that time with God. And I thought about it kind of like this. You know, fasting is an emptying. You know, and, and the Christian life is often talked about as a run in the Bible, as a marathon. And let's say, you know, this is my water bottle that I pick up in the marathon. You can see that's some dirty, nasty water. And, and let's say that uh, this water bottle represents my life. And, and some of that dirt isn't necessarily bad stuff. It's just stuff that takes my mind off of God. Maybe it is food. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's my computer. Maybe it's my job. I don't know what it is. You, you, can, you can think about it, but you say, hey, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast this week. So I'm going to empty myself of, of that food for a day or two. So what you do is you go ahead and empty your life of eating for a couple days. But you still got a marathon that you're running for God, right? Now, what are you left with here right now? An empty bottle. How good is an empty bottle to someone who's running a marathon? It's, it's useless. So what you want to do when you're fasting is not only pour out the things that are distracting you from God, you want to find the good things that draw you close to him. Things like spending time in prayer. Things like reading his word. Things like praying with your family, talking about his will for your family so that you have some water, some good water, to drink, right? You don't want to just empty yourself when you're fasting. You want to fill that time with good things. Last thing I want to say, God cares more about how we live day in and day out than he cares about an occasional break from food. God cares more about how we live day in and day out than he does an occasional break from food. And I get this from Isaiah 58. The nation of Israel had been trapped in sin for years, disobeying God. And they, they came up with a great idea. Hey, we're going to fast to get his favor back. We're going to set aside our meals. And God didn't respond to their setting aside their food. And in Isaiah 58, verse 3, they're frustrated. They say, why have we fasted and you have not seen it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed you know what God said to him? He said, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. Other than not eating, you do whatever you want, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast like this and expect your voice to be heard on high. And then he goes on to tell him what really matters more than setting aside food. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And this is what he wants, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. He says, when you do these things, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. 
Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I sort of summarize that by saying, God would rather have someone who is full and is a good reflection of him than someone who is fasting and lives their life like a jerk to the people around them. Because he cares more about how we live day in and day out than he does about an occasional break from food. 